Hello, friends. If you've listened to our previous episode aired last week, you know we're celebrating big this month because it's our one-year anniversary since coming out here on the air and attempting to demystify the world of audiovisual and lighting and revealing to you all everything that's to know related to event productions, behind the scenes, tricks of the trade, as well as insightful tips, strategies, tactics, and perspectives, which hopefully have helped and will continue to do so to plan and produce successful events of all types, sizes, and formats, in-person, virtual, or hybrid. Today, I get to speak with a very important guy and partner at Valiant Productions in Boise, Idaho. Brent Burke is an event producer, an entrepreneur, and a well-rounded tech in the areas of audiovisual productions and has focused his skill set on the video side of the industry. He brings a creative outside-of-the-box flair to events, which has benefited Valiant Productions from conception to becoming a thriving, full-service audiovisual company. Customers are always number one and Brand prides himself on staying customer-focused throughout the entire event planning and executing process. I've only known Brand for a short amount of time, but I've known of him and his company for a while and I can tell you that the first thing that stood out to me was his positive attitude and general outlook in life even in the middle of this pandemic. It is my greatest pleasure to have Brand join us on the air today to discuss all things virtual events from his perspective and his company's standpoint. A warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you for making time to be here and share from your personal experience of planning and producing events. How are you doing and how have you been dealing with the pandemic personally, but also as a company? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm actually a huge fan of this podcast. I'm excited that we're, I don't know where we're at in your catalog of podcasts, but I think we're right around your one-year anniversary episode, maybe? That's right. That's why I'm doing this special series of interviews, because I wanted to do something different for the one-year anniversary. I'm super excited and also excited to be talking to people. After you talk alone for a while, you're like, actually, it's fun talking to people. (laughs) I totally agree. Like uh, we feel this little bit of sense of isolation, which I think we're supposed to be doing, but it feels really nice to actually connect with people because that's what we do. We connect with people. Absolutely. So how has the COVID-19 pandemic impacted you personally and at a company level? Definitely changed a whole lot. You know, in March when everything shut down, I think we all were scratching our heads like, "What? what's going to happen here, everybody? Like, been hard personally because, you know, we like to hang out with friends and go do fun, active things. I mean, we're right in the middle of a really epic snowboard season and it stopped. Oh, yeah. It was really sad. But then professionally here at Valiant, we just went, oh, wow, all of our gigs just canceled. How are we going to survive this? But then we, just like you, we made that pivot back in March and said, all right, well, we're going to do virtual events. Let's try to get people to not cancel their events. Let's keep everyone connected and we'll pivot and do this virtually. So going virtually has been an adventure. I think we've learned a whole lot. I think we felt like we knew what we were doing when we started. And over the last you know four months or so, we've realized that there's a whole nother mindset that goes with virtual that we hadn't really considered or we weren't as prepared for, it, I think, as we thought we were. But it's been a really fun adventure trying to learn new things and been a whole new market of people that we didn't know that wanted this. It's never a good thing to have a pandemic at all, but I think that we found some really cool opportunities that have come out of it that we wouldn't have had otherwise. So overall, it's been a bit of a blessing, even though it's a terrible, terrible thing. 
I can totally agree with what you were saying, you know, how you jump in there and then you're starting to learn as you go many of the things that you haven't done before or you thought you knew how to do, but they're just a little different, enough different, not just from a technical perspective, but from the client's perspective. I feel like I had to jump in the role of educator just to educate our clients and explain to them the options that they have and the best way to move forward with what we got. There weren't so many options left. So this is the best we got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we set up our studio initially in March, and I think we've set it up and taken it down and setting it up and taking it down several times. I know that all of our control studios have all been up and down several times as we trying to maximize the efficiency of what we can do and plug in different pieces of equipment that will make it easier and more streamlined for the end viewer, because it's all about the viewer. Exactly. Yep. What has been then for you one of the main struggles when transitioning from doing in-person live events to the current reality of in-studio virtual events? From the feedback that I've gotten from the presenters that have been here and done other virtual events, I think the hardest thing is having that comfort level as a presenter on stage feel connected to the audience. When you're here, there's nobody else here in the room with you. I mean, we've isolated it so much that, you know, you're basically all alone on a stage. And it, I think that it's hard for them to feel connected. So we had to find different ways of being able to present different windows and different social chats or whatever platform they're on, which everyone has their version of audience interaction. We've had to find a way to maximize that for the presenters so that they feel connected. Because if they don't feel connected, then whatever message you're trying to convey doesn't get conveyed the right way. I think the biggest challenge is figuring out how to make them feel like they're not in a room by themselves. Did you have to print cut off cardboard? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't go that far? <laughs> no. And uh, every time people ask us for, hey, can you put in some canned applause or a laugh track? Can we do that? Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, or a Facebook like just coming up to the side. <laughs> yep. We, uh, we've done that one a bunch, actually. The overlay of the Facebook emojis. That's funny. Yep. Now, based on your experience with all the platforms that you've worked on so far, what has worked the best for you when live webcasting? And on that, please do talk about your experience with hosting one of your latest events you were talking about, hosting 16 independent Zoom rooms. Is that right? Yeah, 16 independent Zoom rooms all going at the same time. They wanted to be able to do breakouts down to a small number. We had to do a bunch of independent Zoom rooms to be able to allow the small number breakouts. That was quite unique. You know, every event has some sort of challenge or a hiccup that can happen. As much as we practice or strive for, there's always some little hiccup. But we actually let technology work and it worked so well. We had to increase all the bandwidth coming into our office. So we ended up having six independent services come in from our internet service provider. And we split that out into all of the independent Zoom rooms. And then we had to be able to have audio and video in and out of each machine that was doing Zoom. Wow. So did you have a Zoom host in your office or was someone that the client was providing to have someone to host? Yeah. So we had a dedicated person on our team to be able to make sure that the audio and video in and out were working properly. And then mm -hmm. the client actually provided their own Zoomzilla specialist. Mm -hmm. And then we had a member of their team in each one of those rooms facilitating the chat and just kind of overall monitoring. And they were not on site. But here yeah. on site, we did have a client provided Zoom specialist. Very nice. Very interesting. So that did go well from what I hear. Yeah, it was a it was a party. It was three days of all day. We basically went from nine to seven or eight, three days in a row. 
So, so you that. took the Zoom fatigue to another level. <laughs> yeah, but the audience that was a part of this one, they were so engaged through the whole thing. And he did a great job of making sure that people were noticed. We made mm-hmm. sure that anything that would happen on Facebook, the chat was displayed. Like We overlaid Facebook chat at certain times. And then we made it so that he could see at least 600 people on the Zoom at a time. Wow. We built a big LED wall just for confidence monitor. We had a 10-foot tall by 20-foot wide confidence monitor video wall. That's amazing. With 600 tiny squares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's some pictures of it floating around on the social of him looking at the wall of faces. It's pretty epic. We'll have to look that up. Now, going back to the platform. So do you have a preference as far as the type of platform that you like to work with or you had the most experience or best experience with? Um, There's definitely some that are better than others. I know that I've heard you talk about Vimeo. We like Vimeo Mm -hmm. as well. They've definitely made it very easy to interface and it's very responsive. We haven't had a whole lot of lag or stall out with that one. Mm-hmm. But we also do Facebook, YouTube, Zoom, a bunch of different ones. A lot of companies have their own custom mm-hmm. sites that we, we log into. I do really appreciate that Zoom is more real-time when we're having to deal with audience interaction. Facebook, even at best, is, I believe, around nine seconds of delay. Sometimes that's pretty frustrating for a presenter to say, hey, how is everyone doing? Post in the comments and then have to wait 10 seconds yeah. to get that feedback. But I think they're all pretty good. I know every time someone says they want to live stream to Instagram, we cringe just a little, but I think that they're working on that. What has been your greatest challenge with that? With Instagram? Yeah. Their API is made so that we can't integrate as easily. So we have to kind of backdoor try to get in. They don't love that and we don't love that. But then we have clients that will say, well, Justin Timberlake had an audience of (laughs) however many thousands of people watching his live and it went for an hour. And say, well, I think that if we have millions of dollars, we could probably make that happen too. It's true. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Now, what are, in your opinion, the key elements of a successful event, both in person or virtual, whichever you want to talk about? I think being prepared is definitely a great option. On one of your previous podcasts, you talked about having the tech walkthrough, which was different than a rehearsal. Mm -hmm. And I was, as I was listening to that, I I openly applauded. And I said, thank you for saying that. A lot of people, I think, treat the tech rehearsal as a dress rehearsal. Yeah. And there is a lot of things that there's options that we have that may not have come up. Like, how do you want to do pips and overlays? Yeah. And all of these things that we may have missed in early discussions that would be discussed during a tech walkthrough. Yes. Where we can work. What what exactly do you want it to look like? What do you want the backdrop to look like? We have an LED wall backdrop. Sometimes we have projection backdrop depending on the level of event. But we need to know what it looks like. What kind of furniture do you want on stage? And all that stuff we hopefully worked out our email and the phone in advance. But sometimes we get to the tech walkthrough and they want to change. And if they're treating the tech walkthrough as the dress rehearsal, then I think that everyone gets a little antsy. Yeah. Dress rehearsal, in my opinion, should always be focused front. What's happening in the front on the stage, right? And then if that's nailed and you can move on to the next thing, then the tech rehearsal has to happen as well because now the techs need to know the exact details and the order of things. Without having that, you assume a lot of things. And as we know, we're human and we interpret and read things differently. So you just leave room for assumptions in place. 
Absolutely. So that being said, things like the production schedule or show flow or whatever you choose to call it, those become so key for us, knowing when to bring in slides, when not to have slides in, even detailing it like, I want this overlay at this point. I want to be this picture in picture look at this point. I want to have this music track at this point. Like we have all of those things for live events, but doing them for the virtual event need to be so much more detailed. So much more detail. I agree. Completely agree. Now, what are some of the best practices that you've implemented the day of the event to limit the risk involved with live streaming? Well, we definitely like to have a run through day before, if not earlier. Mm-hmm. Then we can work out to make sure that whatever streaming platform we're streaming to can connect and that the people on the other end that are receiving it can make sure they connect, especially with Facebook and YouTube. We're able to kind of audition that. So we typically tell clients like an hour before, we want to be able to make sure that you can see and hear us. If it's two-way, we want to be able to see and hear them as well. But we have gotten it down pretty good. We had a couple of back-to-back events the other day, and one of them went went long and kind of ate into some of the prep time for the other one, which was not ideal. (laughs) But we did feel pretty good about we were able to get up and going super quickly Mm -hmm. because we had such a thorough walkthrough the day prior. So we were able to just get up and going super quickly. But some of the best practices are just making sure that about an hour before that we're able to connect with whatever Mm -hmm. platform we're streaming to, make sure that we're connected for a while. We always send that countdown clock so that people on the other end know exactly where we're at on time. Yeah, I think that there's just several things to just be really aware of, like making sure that that connection is good and strong. It's because if we're going live like five minutes before and it doesn't connect for some reason, we don't have time to regroup. Well, that makes sense. I like to revert back to the goldfish statistic because I just love this because it's just so funny, you know, where they say that the attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds, which is one second more than the average attention span of human beings, which is at around eight seconds. According to some smart people, I didn't come up with this. This is according to the National Center for Biotechnology Information. And in addition, you know, professionals check their emails like 15 times a day, which is about every 37 minutes. And I can totally (laughs) fit in that category. And then they check their devices 52 times per day. And it's safe to say that there are plenty of distractions to work around as we plan our events. With all of this distraction going on, it's no surprise that humans have started to learn new ways to digest information. Our brain is now trained to look for the fastest path to new information. So considering all of this, How can you keep attendees' attention during a live webcast in this world full of distractions? (laughs) That is a brilliant question, and I wish I had all of the answers to it. But I think for us, the recommendation we make is that everything has to move faster. Mm -hmm. So all these events that we do live that are like two, three hour events, we're like, yeah, you need to get down to that 44 minutes or shorter. Yeah. We need these to be way quicker. From a camera switching standpoint, we switch much faster. We make sure that there's motion graphics that are involved with the backdrop. We make sure there's motion graphics involved with the general look and feel of the show. Like if we do picture picture, we have to have a motion background behind. If there's any videos that they want to play, they shouldn't be any more than two to three minutes. Mm -hmm. As people do, they lose attention fast and you can watch it. It's really interesting to watch on the statistics of the streams because most all of them, you can see real time how many people are logged in and how many people are engaged. Yeah. And you see those numbers once it starts to, if we feel bored, you can tell the other people are bored as well. And you see those numbers fluctuate. Things like audience polling, as much audience interaction as you can have on these virtual events, the better. 
the ones that we see that do really, really well, especially like for nonprofit auctions and stuff, the more audience interaction they have, the better. We see a lot of hosting parties now where they can kick it over and say, hey, let's take a look to see what they're doing over at Janet's house. People are curious now. They want to see what everybody doing at Janet's house. <laughs> yes, yes. And so I think to keep their attention, we recommend that stuff as much as possible. Or, hey, post your comments in the chat. Let's read some of these chat questions. Yeah. All that stuff helps to keep people engaged. I think as an attendee, you never know when you might get called on. And so you kind of have to pay attention to make sure that when you do get called on, you're ready. Yeah, but we absolutely. love we're doing a like a Zoom call or any sort of stream really that has a viewing party that we can be two way. We love those because it's so fun to see the interaction and it does feel like you're part of the event. And how do you meet the high expectations of a professional house to make sure that you get the best quality, both audio and visual coming in, especially? That's another fun one. Yeah, we offer that as part of our packages. We can send a camera crew and mm -hmm. an audio crew over to your viewing party and we can have a professional two-way experience or we do allow them to, hey, just use your computer. Let's do this down and dirty. I think most people at this point of the pandemic have had a Zoom experience or whatever experience. And so a lot of the best practices, we can talk to them in advance, like make sure you're framed this way, make sure your camera is this, make sure your mic is this. Yeah, lighting is proper. I remember right in the beginning of the video Zoom calls that I was having a lot of, I even put a lamp <laughs> right above the <laughs> computer camera <laughs> just so I have some sort of a direct lighting because in my office, there is a big window to the side and I get all the side lighting, which just makes me look so interesting and weird and shades all over the place. So I'm like, this is the best I've got until I actually get one of those LED rings, you know, that you can find on Amazon to just somewhat elevate that lighting level so it's not so so <laughs> yeah, I was thinking a while ago that I should have invested stock into ring lights because of all the people right. I sent to them. They should be they should be sending me royalties. Totally. You should have an affiliation account or yes, something. <laughs> absolutely. We get that question. What microphone should I use? What light should I use? Yeah. It's funny because I was recommending for podcasting because I have a lot of people asking me like, what microphone should I use for podcasting? And honestly, I just use a sure microphone on MV5. And as I was uh, just telling people, it sold out on Amazon. And now I can't even tell people go and buy it, whatever, on Amazon because they can find it. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Like everything sold out so fast. There was a bunch of things, even having USB capture devices that they were sold out for so long and they sold out so fast. Nuts. It is. I'm not even going to get into the outdoors and pedal boarding and other <laughs> things that I've run into, like complete deficit. I'm like, what has happened? Yeah. <laughs> so now try to get us back on topic for any nonprofit or for-profit organization out here in Treasure Valley. Why would they work with an experienced event producer or production house when transitioning to a virtual event? What's the best advice you can give them? I think that people appreciate having a polished product more than they appreciate just seeing somebody in their living room doing their thing. What we've seen with a bunch of different nonprofit online auctions and other things, and we've had people come to us and say, hey, it wasn't what we had hoped. And we look at the product they had, go, oh, well. I think that people, they want to see the event as if they were going to be at the event. They want to know that there's a cool backdrop. They want to see people dressed up on stage. I mean, they want to see a stage. And you don't get that if you just hook up your camera at home and you just do a quick thing at home. I think people feel like you didn't really try. Yeah. 
It's hard to compete with your stage setup there in the studio and all the fun lighting that you set up. I mean, that would be pretty hard to compete with at home. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's why we did it. And that's why we want people to come is because we've seen auctions here that towards they've come to us and they said, hey, we raised way more money than we did in years past. And we had way more engagement than we've had in years past. Ultimately, we want to get back to doing live events because that's where we specialize. That's where we thrive. But in this environment of doing these virtual events or and then soon we're going to be having all these hybrid events, people want the event. They don't want to just have somebody halfing it in their living room. They want to actually know that they're having an event. And with viewing parties and things, like they can still get dressed home and feel like they're actually part of the event. They can unplug from whatever else they're dealing with at home at the moment, and they can just zero in on the event, and they can focus on why they're at the event, what they're raising money for, or what they're tuning in for, what benefit it has. And we've seen it over and over and over in the last few months that people are excited and engaged to be part of these higher-end virtual events. Yeah. I like that you also segued into the next uh, question without even knowing. I was going to go into hybrid events and talk a little bit about that because it is true now. We know that, you know, virtual events are here to stay. And we also don't know for sure when we're going to gather in person again, but it's pretty certain that once we do, there is going to be some live webcasting element to any in-person event. So with that in mind, what do you think will be the major challenge when planning and executing this new breed of events? I think, again, it goes back to having people feel connected. With a virtual, you're in a different mindset to connect virtually. When you're live, you have a mindset to connect with the people in the room. And when we go hybrid, the people that are presenting are going to have to find a way to be able to connect with both audiences cohesively, which I think will be a really interesting dynamic to watch. I'm not personally sure how it really works as of right now. I mean, even before this, we were doing hybrid events. There was always some element of, oh, we want to stream to this Facebook too. But it almost felt like an afterthought. Yeah, and it wasn't necessarily something that it started from the get-go as this concept of a hybrid event. It was the concept of a live event, the main reason for gathering with a webcasting element. Let's see what happens. Yeah, exactly. And it felt like, well, if they wanted to have the full experience, they would be here. But I think that those days are gone, at least for a while. And I think that we just have to find a way to keep both audiences engaged and both audiences feel like they are unique to the person on stage. And that's our job, the provider, to be able to make sure that we have the technology that makes that easy for them, that they can deliver their message without having technology get in the way. Our job is to make sure that their message is delivered in a clear fashion, audibly and visually. And we're going to have to be able to do that both in the live room as well as those who are watching from home or from work or wherever they may be watching from. I think there'll be a little bit of a learning curve as soon as we start doing those again, but I know that we're all up to the challenge and we want to make sure that those messages that presenters have are delivered in a clear way. I completely agree. Now, in terms of industry trends for virtual, but also just in general for event productions, what are you watching out for at the moment? Mm, that's a solid question. What are we watching out for? I think we're watching out for probably the best ways to be able to, to do this. Like we we're just talking about with hybrid events and virtual events, being able to limit that delay time and make sure that people feel connected. I think also we are seeing a lot of people kind of touched on it a little bit ago with uh, why to use an event planner or not use an event planner. We're seeing a lot more people think that they can do it on their own. Yeah, I, I can dial up a Zoom account. I have a Zoom account. I can just make a Zoom event happen. 
that's something that we're really wary of. And we always say, well, who's your event planner? Who are we working with with event planners? We have event planners that we prefer. If you don't have one already, not using an event planner is a very big no-no for us. That becomes really scary because it pushes a lot of the unknown on us. And as much as we try to communicate, we're not as efficient as event planners are because we're focused on the technology more so than we are about their specific topic. Absolutely. So in the terms of industry trends, you think that some type of a platform will be emerging in which this two-way communication will be easier to happen? Is that what you're thinking? I think there will be, especially with companies like Facebook and YouTube that are wanting to have more of that dynamic. They're going to find ways to make it simpler for all of us to be able to have a two-way connection. Zoom has made huge strides. I remember a few years ago experiencing Zoom for the first time and thinking, wow, that's really cool. It'd be nice if they had this feature and that feature and that feature. And then all of a sudden when the pandemic happened, it had all those features. Oh, I guess they were listening. The same is going to be true of the big players. And there's also companies coming online like Live Pigeon is one that we have found to be so helpful with being able to have a pre-recorded event be pushed out live. I think that we're going to see more of that because people want to have that perfect polished product without having the fear of an internet outage or whatever else, because those can happen. I mean, we haven't seen it happen yet, but they do happen. And we know that companies like Live Pigeon, who are really making an effort to put their name out there now, I think that we'll see more cool products from people like that. It's funny because a lot of people now will go, well, what if people don't know how to use Zoom? And then everyone goes, who doesn't know how to use Zoom? (laughs) My 98-year-old grandpa had a Zoom call with us yesterday. I love it. Well, it's been so good talking to you, Brent, and such a pleasure. Now, where can people find you and learn more about you, your services, and the type of work you do? Where should they look for you online? Well, we're all over the interwebs at uh, valiantprod.com. The prod is short for productions. We were just too cheap to buy the auctions. So it's valiantprod.com. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Valiant Productions, Boise. That's where we are. Contact your favorite event planner and they can get a hold of us as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for carving time out of your busy schedule and just being able to be on the air, having a conversation about events and especially virtual events. Uh, I really appreciate it. The pleasure is all mine. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I do get hit up fairly regularly from people to join their podcasts, and I usually turn them down, but I could not turn this one down because I love your podcast. Pushed it to end clients, event planners. The stuff that you have to say is always spot on, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it the same way. It's good to hear feedback, especially when you just go on and just talk and talk, and sometimes you don't even know if you're just hitting, you know, the bare walls. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Well, you're doing a job, and I appreciate it. I've gotten some nuggets from you that I would not have gotten otherwise, and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, my friends, this is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for staying with us till the very end. Leave us a comment if you found any of our tips helpful, and we would love to hear what else you're doing with your events and your business, especially in the middle of this pandemic. You can leave us your feedback via email, podcast at 3funevents.com, and that is T-R-E-E-F-A-N-E-V-E-N-T-S.com, or via our Instagram account, messaging us directly at 3fun underscore events, where you can also learn more about us and what we do. Stay safe and healthy, and we will see you next week with another episode and another feature guest.